My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is your host, Patricia, and today I am sitting down with Cassie Carlisle. Cassie is an award-winning reporter at KGTV in San Diego. Welcome, Cassie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on, Cassie. You are one of the first members of the press that we have spoken to, and um, we've had a lot of people in our audience reach out and really want to unpack what we're doing, um, what you've done with your your story and um, just kind of what roles in the media look like. For everyone listening, I'm gonna give you a bio on Cassie, but before that, a quick roadmap of today's podcast. We are going to, it's gonna follow the same trajectory as all of these um, interviews with founders and entrepreneurs and people in business across all industries that we're doing with Patricia Kathleen Podcast. We're gonna talk about um, Cassie's academic background and early professional life, and then we'll turn straight towards where, um, her work with KGTV, and we'll go through the logistics of that as well as some of the particulars as they pertain to Cassie and her career in particular. Then we're going to turn our attention towards goals that Cassie has for the next few years um, regarding her career and other um, endeavors that she is involved with. And we will wrap everything up with advice that Cassie may have for some of those of you looking to emulate what she's done or get involved with her today. So a quick bio on Cassie. As a journalist, Cassie has covered Stories that range from major crime scenes and snowstorms to hanging out with the Globetrotters. While working at Scripps affiliate WMAR, she created the segment Made in Maryland, highlighting unsung trades. Cassie has also worked in Bakersfield as an anchor and live desk reporter. At KERO, Cassie got her hands on almost every job trying out weather casting, sports anchoring, producing, and editing. She won an Emmy with the 11 a.m. team, leading the coverage in the Highway 58 mudslide. Outside of work, Cassie loves most outside activities, hiking, boating, and maybe soon, surfing. She was a gymnast as a child, winning a bronze medal in the California State Games. Cassie feels fulfilled being a journalist, hoping to help people through providing information. Her favorite quote is by Ralph Waldo Emerson, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. I love that, Cassie, and I'm so excited to kind of <laughs> unpack some of that. You've, you've really gotten like your um, a taste. You. You've done like a smorgasbord across a ton of media. And while I do want to get into your media and like the, the really deep trenches of that experience you've had, 
Will you first drop us into your academic background and early professional life following that? Absolutely. So while I went to the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism at Arizona State, I do have to say I have to thank Michaela Pereira, who was a producer and an anchor at KTLA back when I was in eighth grade. She's the reason why I'm a reporter today, because she took the time to take my phone call when I was a little kid and tell me everything about this industry. Nice. So it's from that moment on that I've been pursuing this career and putting a camera in my hands and editing and trying out everything. Because that's what you have to do as we evolve as an industry. Media has changed a lot in the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just funny, just really quickly, I, I, the Walter Cronkite School at ASU just recently launched um, PBS West Coast um, edition with that. Like they have a lot of really prominent things still coming out of that particular branch at ASU. Was it like that when you were obtaining your degree there? Yes, we were so lucky. It was incredible. When I toured the school with my father and he asked the dean at the time, um, we found out that my freshman year, I could get my hands on a camera. So growing up in that school, my junior and senior year, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the Walter Cronkite School's Cronkite Newswatch program. So we were turning stories every day, just like a normal reporter like we do, like I do now. <laughs> so yeah. it was absolutely incredible to have professors guiding us and helping us tell real stories because the coolest part of being a student there is seeing your story picked up by one of the stations in the market as a student. Yeah. So that absolutely. was unreal. Yeah, getting that workflow out into the market as you're still kind of learning about the industry, I think is what makes news and writing so cool for a, a potential you know, a potentiality for students if they're driven enough. I think it's also kind of daunting for people who are still in the curriculum, but that is really cool. Yeah. Did you know as you were obtaining the degree, were you always confirmed that you were going to go into media? Were you convinced that it was always going to be news or did you think about other outlets? I always wanted to do news because I grew up watching news in the morning. I always wanted to know what was going on. And I know that everybody's kind of changed the way that they obtain news these days. And sometimes it's a little more difficult with social media, but I've always wanted to be the first person at the scene, find out the most information and, and really be able to help people understand. I mean, when there's a fire, we're able to tell people, hey, you're home safe. Hey, you guys are going to need to start working with an insurance agency, you know, and those are critical moments as things are developing where we can provide information. So I have always been driven to be in news, not public relations or advertising or marketing or anything like that, as, as neat as those companies are. Right. So what part of, who provided you some direction? Like as you were wrapping up your degree and leaving, um, where did you go to first? Did you go to the first job you could get? How did you like kind of develop your path? I actually got really lucky. I interviewed in Helena, Montana, or Helena, yes, Helena, Montana. And um, they were a teeny, teeny, tiny town. And it was snowing when I was there. And I was like, oh, dear, I don't know if I could live in snow. And then I got a job offer over in Bakersfield, which was just an hour away from my hometown. And so I left at that opportunity. They had a pathway through the Cronkite School. So it was amazing to go straight from school to Scripps. And then everywhere else I've jumped to has been through the Scripps company. So it's been a very easy path for me when it comes to being able to move around and experience different locations. Cause that was part of the reason I wanted to be a journalist was to explore and have adventures. 
<laughs> right. Absolutely. Now, did you set out knowing that you wanted to kind of sample or pepper into your your Rolodex, if you will, your skills Rolodex, um, all of these different areas? Or did you do that because you weren't finding your niche? Oh, I knew that the more things I could do, the more valuable I'd be. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I was the most valuable piece of putty that they can put into any mold. So when I was at KERO, I had so much fun figuring out, jumping in wherever they needed me. Because in a small market, I mean, you really have about five people on a weekend show working. So mm -hmm. it's really easy to plug in if somebody had to call out or had to go somewhere um, and just try out different jobs and, and really see kind of what called your name. And for me, it was still always reporting. So I was just fortunate enough to be able to try being a sports anchor, try being a weathercaster, and then get job offers in, in different realms. But I always wanted to stay true to reporting because that's just what sings to me. Yeah. When did you, when did you land at KGTV? I just came here, goodness, about a year and a half ago. So okay. it was May that I started my first day a little over a year ago. So it's been amazing. I surf now. Not well, but. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it's still very different from Baltimore. And I think that's the amazing thing is I've gotten to go to, or I've had the opportunity rather, to go to these different towns and these different locations that I never would be otherwise in my life and really get on the ground floor and understand what builds communities and what makes them run. And it's mm -hmm. just incredibly beautiful. Yeah. You've been in a lot of different outfits with different, like you say, varying different sizes of the shows that you were working with and things of that nature. And I'm curious, do you find a continuity across um, a lot of the different projects and people that you've worked with as far as the ethos goes of the company and the news, or does it change from state to state, from city to city? Do some of the greater goals or the lenses that are applied to the news change? Can you speak to that through throughout all of the different ones you've worked for? Absolutely. So I feel like the lens kind of changed on a national scale. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Baltimore, I, I was a little more threatened as a reporter. I've had eggs thrown at me right before I did a live shot when I was standing in front of the police headquarters. Um, here, I've gotten accosted by people who don't believe that I'm an unbiased reporter. And, and the thing that I have to say about that is I just wish that everyone gives others an opportunity to share what they're doing because it's not one-sided. So many people come at the news and say, you hate or love Trump. You hate or love these policies and this, these politics where when you're a local reporter, your focus is the story, getting the facts and sharing that with others. And I know that that sounds extremely idealistic, but that's what I strive to do and what I believe I do every single day. So when someone can give me the opportunity to tell them, here's both sides, I'm just putting it out there. It really helps me because, I mean, again, I went to the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. We were instilled with just the facts, man. Right. And that's what I try to do. So I, and you get into, you know, in your bio and some of it talks about, you know, mudslides and you mentioned, you know, whether or not this house is safe or whether or not they're calling the insurance company and those stories really meaning a lot to you. Have you cultivated a certain type of reporting or story that you find is kind of your niche that you very specifically are driven towards reporting or the human interest stories? What area do you find yourself more drawn to the, the further you get into your career? I really love stories that help people. 
And I know that that sounds kind of silly, but um, these days there's a lot of people who are struggling and they don't have the information or the connections to get what they need done, done. So perfect example was in Bakersfield, there was a 12 year old boy named Alex who had cancer since he was four. And we did a story on him. I was doing it all by myself. And cause that's what happens when you're in a small market. Mm-hmm. And I went out, met his family and he had no teeth because of all of the cancer treatment. It had, it made them fall out. Mm-hmm. So just by sharing his story and he actually had this incredible singing voice. And I really, you know, showed that in the beginning and the end of the story, it was very poignant. Um, so many people fell for him and felt for his family and just started donating. This was when GoFundMe was brand new and he got cards from around the world because his story got picked up by so many people. Yeah. And that is, that is why I'm here is to help somebody who doesn't have a voice. Yeah, absolutely. So do you, speaking back to, you know, having things thrown at you and saying that news changed on the national level, and it feels like you were kind of tying in the tone of, you know, recent politics and things of that nature. But I do know that the press, you know, there has been kind of a um, a voice about regarding a lot of the mainstream press feeling very unsafe. And for female mm-hmm. reporters such as yourself or those who identify as female or non-binary, I think the stakes are mm-hmm. even a little bit higher because it was always, you know, an area Absolutely. where someone wasn't feeling safe. But do you feel like there's a, a tide or a tenant of change that could be happening? Or how is how are women reporters or women looking to go into news and reporting supposed to be addressing this kind of um, rising climate of, of danger, you know, that seems to be um, encouraged sometimes, at least was in the last presidential campaign by the candidates? Um, right. Do you, do and, you feel like mm-hmm. there's a climate, there's a way that we can react as change or do you, you and your colleagues as women reporters, do you guys speak about how to um, react to that? Absolutely. I think it's about being smart. And I know that that sounds really straightforward and kind of silly, but you need to look at where you're going. If that neighborhood is a bad neighborhood, if you're going with somebody, because often we do because we have enough wonderful people in positions to know you shouldn't go to certain areas by yourself, but you are your own advocate, right? In that sense. So Mm -hmm. it's so important for you to get your mind around the story and then around your safety. So it's all about changing your mindset as well. It's not just a job. It's also your safety. Um, I actually just saw on Facebook, I don't know if you've seen this video. It's, it's very upsetting where a woman is an MMJ reporter, which means multimedia journalist. So she's shooting her own stuff. Um, doing interviews and editing herself. That's kind of what I do here and there. And she was hit over the head by a homeless person while she was carrying her tripod and turned away. So in those moments, we just have to be very much like police officers or anyone else who's a first responder where your head is on a swivel, no matter where you're at. And I've been in a couple situations where I've been an MMJ reporting by myself and I've called my boss and said where I am and just kept them on the phone until I got to my car. They're extremely understanding and extremely supportive because they don't want anything to happen to you either. So I hope that that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And I think that just opening the dialogue, you and I talked off the record when I first pitched you to come on the series and speak with us about it. We had a little bit of a conversation regarding, um, 
you know, the danger of, of women employees across all industries and anyone who's mm-hmm. going into the field and just this, there was a, you know, the concept early on, I think with a younger, um, maybe not even younger, just less experienced reporter or anyone who's working for a company when you're we're asked to go into certain neighborhoods is that right. surely it would be safe because they're asking you to go there, you know, and then this, this right. concept of having to kind of provide self-protection um, and self-awareness because it's actually not in the company's best interest sometimes to think about your welfare or whether or not you should be taking someone else. And I'm wondering about, um, I think I'm interested in systems that are put into place, particularly across things like broadcasting and things like that, you know, um, areas that can be more monitored as to like standards that, you know, that we use. And the news is hard because it's been disbanded and you've got a lot of, you know, different people doing the different um, kinds of reporting, like this Facebook um, woman that you mentioned. Did you call it the MMJ? Yes. So multimedia journalist. Yeah. And I, I think that point is so valid that systems need to be put in place. But I, I think it, as a female reporter, it's just creating that relationship with your bosses and with the assignment desk who generally knows where you're going and hopefully knows the area well enough mm-hmm. so that you can be protected and you're not put in a compromising position. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, well, and when it, because people are kind of out doing their own stories that do get picked up, I think it's about kind of being aware yourself, like you're saying, and putting some of those in order. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the way that that news has kind of disbanded largely and gone with these, you know, um, MMJ reporters and and different, you know, people that are kind of picked up these these ad hoc reporters? Do you agree with it? Do you mm-hmm. think that it's going to come back? I've talked to people that have said that it might come back into being more of an in-house umbrella eventually once media starts to kind of make sense all the way across the boards. Where do you where do you forecast that? So that is the question I have asked every CEO I can get my hands on. Right. <laughs> where yeah. do you see media in five years? Where do you see media in 10 years? And right now, a lot of people don't know because we're sticking to what we know right now. And that is changing so rapidly. So I see a lot more online content. I mean, you can see different companies like Disney just came out with Disney Plus. I -hmm. see us having some sort of streaming. Um, We already do have a lot of streaming that we're doing. So, I mean, you've got the impeachment proceedings going on right now, but our evening newscast, if it is, um, if the impeachment proceeding is still going on, we'll still be live online and through the app. So people can still watch news if they choose so. Um, I feel like we are getting most of our audience from social media. So that would be, you know, Facebook. Um, we don't really have as much of a hold in Instagram, which is where a lot of people have moved. And I think that there will be a lot of figuring out to do in that realm as well. It's just also kind of figuring out what the tide is because Facebook was really popular and then it kind of waned a little bit. And then Instagram has become the big uh, cheese in that realm. So I, I think yeah. it's going to be, I don't think we're going to have the old days ever again of two man or three man crews going out. There used to be a three man or four man crew that would go out for a live shot. You'd have an audio guy, maybe a field producer, a videographer, and a reporter. That's national status. And on the local TV level, I think that we're just going to get smaller. We're not going to have as many stations. And that's going to have pros and cons. And I think people, eventually 10 years down the line are going to realize the true value of news when it starts dissipating. So it's going to be a huge balancing act of still 
trying to provide that information that people find useful and find an audience who wants to use it. Yeah, and I mean, my mind tends to tangent when I play around with some of those, you know, potential outcomes. It goes towards you right. can hit like a clockwork orange moment, and then you can also, I can picture coming com completely full circle and coming back into that embodiment of, you know, trusting um, establishments and institutions that actually up until now have all but, <clears throat> as a woman, I feel like kind of betrayed me, you know, in a certain degree. And I kind of want to shift our focus for a second towards that realm. And you may not have um, a story here or anything to comment, but I am always curious. Um, you've, you've come up in the industry, you've, you've gone to school for it. And I'm wondering if there's a marked difference between your career and any of those of your male counterparts. You know, we've kind of touched on this issue of like, wow, it's, it was horribly dangerous to go into that area and I needed to call someone to get them on the phone. But can you cite over, particularly because you're, the span of what you've done thus far has come up throughout the, you know, Me Too burst open and prior to that. So you've kind of, um, you've got a leg on either side, if you will, of what, what could be seen mm -hmm. as this very monumental time in history. And I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to the differences that were before or the change of the voices now or any of those things that are kind of very key in your career right now. In my career, I haven't necessarily seen a ton of the media movement inside. I've seen a lot of it outside. We've covered it a, mm -hmm. a ton. Um, I think more people are speaking out now because they feel empowered to and they feel like someone will actually listen. Um, but inside the news business, I have been extremely fortunate where every counterpart I've ever had has always treated me with respect. So, I, I mean... I'm sure that there are stories out there, but I'm very, very thankful that I don't have one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've talked to a lot of people who have experienced the same. They're like, it's co we're covering it. We know it. We're speaking to people, but I have not been one of those, you know, um, unfortunate people. And that's, that's great too. I think it's, it's important to kind of know and put out there and realize and have it on the record because it could be a sign of early change. You know, there's a lot of um, people mm -hmm. who feel like there's a lot of talk and very little change actually being implement, implemented, or worse yet, a backlash, which is, you know, the, the, um, the Tony Robbins kind of, you know, speaking with people that are now right. terrified to deal with women because they don't want to have any issues going forward and victimizing the vic victim and things of that nature. But um, it's good to, mm -hmm. I think, kind of get some stories out there where people are fortunate enough not to have had some egregious major incident happen, especially since you are covering a lot of them. Um, right. I think there are, has been a lot of change, though. I think that human resources is, I think they've gone through a, a change as well when it comes to how to handle those situations. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that people, again, are going a little bit more frequently to speak on those issues. Yeah, so I and think I, there I has don't been think it can happen them. enough. You definitely. I hope mm -hmm. there is change. And there have been a lot, there's an advent of new industry in, you know, in um, corporate business building and making and, you know, things like emotional intelligence and discovering the, the job landscape has really opened up under, I believe, some of the tutelage of, of the aftermath of Me Too and things like that. But I definitely think that there's a, I know that there's a lot of work yet to be done, but it's good to hear people say occasionally that they haven't had, you know, major moments, at least with um, the, uh, the difficulties that we had just learned about kind of being oppressive for so many 
um, women and non-binary individuals. I'm wondering mm-hmm. what some of the greatest difficulties for you have been thus far in your career. Was it was it a job hunting, scouting, jumping from different places, making yourself available? Like, what have been your difficulties thus far? The biggest challenge, and anyone who's been a reporter who's jumped from market to market can tell you this, going to a new place, a brand new place you've never been, you don't know anyone, you don't know a soul, and you don't know much about the city, it's so hard to get grounded and make friends and find your, um, what do we call it, your, your, your girl your game. Tribe. Mm-hmm. your tribe thank you um and and going and picking up and moving again it's just it's really hard to find your tribe be supportive of yourself it, it was a huge learning experience for me about myself and finding myself because that's really how you find yourself you go somewhere by yourself and and kind of are open to all these different facets yeah if that makes any sense Absolutely. Did you find that social media was any help with that? Did you ever find like yeah. meetups or anything like that? Or was it always just still a little jarring? You know, I, I was always kind of nervous to do something like that. I know that that sounds silly because instead what I did when I joined the junior league and I, I joined in Bakersfield and then transferred over to Baltimore and then transferred over here. And that was a huge help. It's women helping women in communities. And it was just really nice to meet other women who are professional and are college, you know, educated and just had a lot in common. So that was everything to me in Bakersfield. And I actually felt like I was home there. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. Can you tell us what Junior League is and kind of about the mentorship model that you do with that? Yes, I mean, it is an organization of women helping women. So we do training as well as we help others in the community. I mean, in Bakersfield, they created the zoo out there, which was incredible. Um, In Baltimore, they have a wonderful, I think it's called the Wise Penny. Sorry, Mm -hmm. it's been a few years. um, Where they sell partially used clothing to help, you know, underserved women. Um, Out here, we have Tay, which is transition age foster youth. And um, it's just so great to be able to mentor other women in the community and help them find a place, really, you know, when it comes to volunteerism and then growing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's a it's a direct outlet, like you're saying, and it helps you put people. I mean, it's an incredible way to socially network, right, to contribute to mm-hmm, a nonprofit and find people who are involved in what you want to do. So you got involved with it on Bakersfield, and then did you did you continue being involved with it when you came to San Diego? Yes, absolutely. I'm actually we have a training tonight um, for the the new girls that are coming into the league. So nice. it's it's very exciting to to see people come in and be excited and want to volunteer. I love it. Absolutely, that's a cool way to do it as well, and a cool way to meet people, as you're saying, when you when you have a job that moves you from place to place. I was speaking to a, right. <laughs> a nurse the other day who got her bearings in the army, which had more of a camaraderie and a family um, build. And then she was a cosmetic nurse. And then she did time on the burn ward as well in the children's hospital here. Wow. And she said that her biggest struggle wasn't the, you know, she has these very high intensive jobs and her biggest struggle wasn't that, but exactly what we were talking about. It's like reacclimating to these social environments that she would drop into because she was this um, mm-hmm. kind of, 
RN for hire. So she had these six month stints everywhere she went. And she said it was just, right. this, you know, trying to really fine tune the process of knowing one's surroundings. And I just as naively asked her what I asked you, I thought, you know, what well, does social totally help with that? And she said, no, <laughs> it doesn't on that level. She felt like social media kept her connected globally with her friends, but not actually to develop right. like a microcosm of a community within the places right. that she was landing. So it's interesting that that it, obviously that there is going to be a lot of jobs that have that in common with one another. Um, looking forward, what do you have? Like, do you have goals with what you're doing at KGTV in San Diego or just as a media professional in general, you know, as this multimedia journalist, do you have future goals that you want to see yourself kind of uncover or are you just moving along the trajectory as it's set in front of you through KGTV? I would love to set roots here and build and continue being a reporter and growing my sources and um, just what I can tell in the community. And eventually, I would really love to make something bigger. I mean, I have a couple leadership positions currently, and I would just love to see where that takes me and what opportunities open up. And I know that that sounds really vague, but We've got to be careful, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is. Everyone's got to be careful when you're referring to anything specifically, but that does make sense. And setting in roots and dealing with sources, you know, that's a, um, that's a long game, right? That's yeah. like something that oh, pays yeah. out over 20 years. So yeah. I, I respect well, that process. Thank you. Well, it's amazing when you, when you foster a relationship with a source and you start learning more there's just so much more that we can talk about. I feel like in this day and age, everything's covered up under so much red tape that it's very difficult to do real investigative journalism. But once you create those relationships and the doorways open up, there's ways that we can help, you know, and really start to monitor things that aren't necessarily correct or the way that they should be running. Right. So it's important. Absolutely. What do you think some of the, um, like, the core tenants, like the ethos of KGTV are that, that you have in common with? Is there, a, is there kind of like an, an essence that happens at the station that you kind of continue on with with your career? Or is there a, like a divergence? Can you speak to um, any of like the environment behind the scenes at KGTV? We it's so funny that you asked that because since the first day I walked into the building, I have known that this is where I'm supposed to be. It mm -hmm. is so, and I'm sorry, I know this sounds so tremendously dramatic, but it's, there is so many leaders. There's so many people who are just so good at their job and they're so creative. I, I am so lucky to mm -hmm. work with the people I work with. When you walk in, you see Emmys on so many desks and different awards. And it's just incredible the talented people I am fortunate enough to be among and to learn from. I think that's the best thing about our station is I can go up to anyone and say, hey, I love how you did this. How did you do it? Can you teach me? Um, how did you kind of get someone to open up on this question? You know, it's just a huge learning environment, a huge growing environment. And we have some incredible leaders who really want everybody to grow. It's, it's very supportive which is huge. That is huge. And a little rare sometimes, I think. Oh, I very rare. I haven't yeah. hung out in a ton of <laughs> newsrooms, but in a lot of environments in general in business, I think that that's rare. You know, finding people who are really yeah. good at what they do, that's a little bit of a search, but that can be done. But finding people who mm -hmm. are good at what they do and, and will uh, walk you through it, you know, that's um, yep. lovely. 
Absolutely. So so if you you were running into somebody um, tomorrow who was just coming out of ASU, the Cronkite school, and just, they said, listen, I'm going to get, you know, neck deep into news and I can't wait. I'm going to learn everything I can. What are the three pieces of advice you would give her? Three pieces of advice I would give her. What would I want to know at that time? Um, mm-hmm. I was so lucky when I interviewed with Michaela Pereira when I was in eighth grade because she told me everything I needed to know. Um, it's going to be hard. You're going to work weekends and holidays. You're not going to get paid a ton. A lot of people think we get paid a ton and we have makeup people. Not true. <laughs> um, but you know what? We do love what we do. And when we get to cover some really neat things and go on some extreme experiences, like Megan Perry, our meteorologist, got to fly with the Blue Angels. I'm waiting for my turn in the seat. Yeah. And I'm hoping for it. I mean, you read that I got to hang out with the Globetrotters. They were so nice and so funny. Oh, my goodness. Um, and and it'll, be, it'll be hard because sometimes you're going to be talking to people on their worst days. I cannot tell you how many mothers I've interviewed who've lost their children and how mm-hmm. horribly upsetting and traumatic that is. But in a way, we're kind of therapists and and we can try and help them a little bit and maybe give them some solace that the memory of their child will live on and and our peace as brief as it is. Um, I would also say keep trying. Mm -hmm. Don't give up because things will seem hard in a moment, but that's what it is. It's just a moment. So always continue striving and find what makes you happy. Find your niche and own it and never stop working hard to get better because that's what's going to keep you valuable is your drive to continue to work hard. Nice. So it's going to be hard. Discover new things. Um, You're going to discover new things and do great things. Keep trying. Things are hard in the moment. Find your niche and persevere. I like it. Yep. That's very cool. (laughs) Absolutely. Those are great pieces of advice. I love that. Well, we are all out of time, but Cassie, I want to say thank you so much. I've caught you in the middle of a cold, in the middle of a rainy (laughs) week in San Diego, and I I know you're horribly busy, and I just want to say thank you despite all three of those things for meeting with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And for everyone listening, thank you so much for your time. And until we speak again, remember to always bet on yourself. Thank you.